Matthew 5, reading down to verse 16. This is page 969 in the Congregation's Bibles. Now when he saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Amen. Congregation and its minister, the congregation and its unity, this morning the congregation in its community. Um, you probably know that your congregation is featuring largely in the most recent edition of Reformed Vision. Have those been given out? Good. But a horrible thought earlier this morning that maybe we'd given ours out too early and they're being kept in a secret cupboard somewhere in the Oakland Community Centre. But I'm glad they've all been handed out as well. So, uh, I, I was really struck in, re- in reading uh, through this edition about the work in Carrick Fergus. Uh, and one thing in particular really um, resonated with me, I must say. And it was the sentence, or the couple of sentences which said, Regarding the outreach of the congregation, we encourage all our members to be at the heart of the local community. We believe that the most natural and effective way to bring the gospel to people is to be alongside non-Christians. That is absolutely right and absolutely crucial and essential. The Christian living his life as a believer in the community is indeed, the Bible tells us, an effective and powerful way of bringing the gospel to men and women. 
There's a man called Deacon Manu. Unusual name, uh, but that's his name. He's obviously not from Balamina. Uh, he's from the island of Fiji. Deacon Manu is a front row forward, a professional rugby player with the Clanethley Scarlets. He also was captain of the Fijian rugby team at the recent Rugby World Cup in New Zealand. Deacon Manu came to play for the Scarlets a couple of years ago and he and his wife bought a house uh, where they lived and began to get to know their neighbours. His background is that he was brought up as a Roman Catholic but when he came to Clenethley he was beginning to feel that somehow or other all was not well with him spiritually. He's a big, strong boy. He's a successful professional rugby player. But inside, he is feeling that all is not well. The more I read the Bible, he says, the more I felt that my Catholic upbringing wasn't the right path. So I prayed that God would show me the way And here's the really exciting bit. It was through my neighbours that I actually came to know the Lord. They are a Christian couple in their 70s. And their lives of thankfulness and care really impressed my wife and I. They didn't force their ideas on us. They simply answered all our questions. And I realized that I needed to place my trust in Jesus and give my life over to him. So on one house, we've got this fit, successful, strong rugby player. And next door, we've a couple in their 70s. And they are salt and light. And through the salt and light of this elderly couple, this young, successful and strong rugby player and his wife came to faith in Christ. Isn't that absolutely marvellous? Salt and light. That's what they were. And these are very familiar words and we want simply to look at them this morning I don't expect to say anything you haven't heard before. Probably not as well as you've heard it before. But just to look at these verses together and to see precisely how they address us and remind us that this is what we are called to be in our community. Just as that elderly couple were in their community. Salt and light. Let's look first at the salt. Salt used to be a really simple thing. Whenever I was growing up, it was Saxa. That was it. Saxa salt. Um, Now it's it's a lot more complicated because there's low salt and cooking salt and ordinary table salt and sea salt and bio salt and probably a whole lot of other organic kinds of salt, all sorts of things. But... People living in Palestine 
had an access to an unlimited supply of salt on the shore of the Dead Sea. We're a bit aware up here in this place of the saltiness that surround us in the sea. Um, sometimes when we've been here for our congregational weekend and the wind has been blowing and it's been a bit damp, the windows are soon covered in a little layer of salt. It's in there in the sea and it blows up and lands on the windows. We're, we're surrounded with salt. Salt is a common substance. And Jesus uses this as a picture of the Christian living in the world. What are you as a Christian like in your community? He says you are salt. And salt, of course, is used chiefly at that time for two things. It's used to preserve. Salt rubbed into meat kept it from decaying. It was a very, very effective way of keeping meat wholesome and edible. And that was a practice continued for many, many years. Continued until fairly recent times, until fridges became much more common. There's a very famous travel writer called M.V. Morton, and he has a description of meat which he found on a visit to South Africa. Um, it's called Biltong. B-I-L-T-O-N-G. I'd never heard of it before till I read what, what he said about it. When this meat, when meat is cut, it's rubbed with a very coarse salt. And if it's done properly and cured properly, this biltong will apparently last indefinitely. It's a really, really effective preservative. And you can store this meat safely for a long, long time. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, as Edith and I were doing our shopping, I noticed on the shelves of the supermarket, I could hardly believe it, a big packet of biltong. And it was meat, strips of meat, cured, and but this time sealed hermetically, as I was mentioning yesterday, um, sealed hermetically, and I lifted it down to have a look at it, the biltong that M.V. Morton uh, discovered didn't have a best before date. It, it lasted and lasted. But this new packaging said on it, best before such and such a time. So it was being preserved, but not as well as by salt. You are the salt of the earth. You're a preservative in society. And without this preservative Society will become like meat left out on a hot summer day. It will become rancid and putrefied, unfit for human consumption. You don't need me to tell you anything about how society so rapidly and terribly degenerates and how so many things appear that are putrefying and polluted. And our Lord is saying, without the influence of the gospel seen in the lives of men and women, believers, society will just keep getting worse. What he says is truly remarkable. And I know that these words are extremely familiar to us, but sometimes familiar words can lose their impact on us. You, literally, he says, you and you alone are the salt of the earth. 
society without the presence of Christians will rot and deteriorate. There is nothing to keep it from getting worse. But God has put his people in the world to be preserving agents in the community to be like that. How amazing and marvellous. So you look at a Christian and he's in the company of other people who are not Christians and his presence acts as a restraint on certain aspects of conduct. Maybe you find that. Maybe you find someone at work or in the neighbourhood or meeting you in the street uh, and they say something and then they apologise and they say, oh, I'm sorry for my language. Uh, And somehow or other you're being there is a preservative. Or you're in the company of somebody who's about to tell a dirty joke and then changes his mind because you're there. Christians are preservative in society. They are keeping the community in a way from an ever-increasing rapid decay. We act as preservatives by being in the community, but also by our conduct and our speech. Paul writes to the Colossians, let your conversation be seasoned with salt. He enlarges that in Ephesians. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. The Christian's conversation is to be different It is to be distinctive. It is to be unlike the conversation of the world. It is to be seasoned with salt. And that may be very definitely seen in in a whole lot of different areas. Um, In the workplace, on the sports field, in the market, it doesn't really matter. There's something here that's very, very encouraging for us, I think. Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. You and you alone are the salt of the earth. The devil would like us to think that really we can't be very effective because we're not very big in numbers. We aren't people who have much influence in the corridors of power. There aren't too many MLAs in our congregations. We don't have a a direct route to the people who are the movers and the shakers. And the devil would like to make you think, well, you can't really have much of an influence. What a pathetic little group. Who are you to think you can make any difference? And that lie is fired at us. And we take hold of of our Lord's words and he says you are the salt of the earth you and you alone in this world are the salt which it needs to keep it from getting worse and worse and just a little salt can have an influence far beyond what you imagine and of course the more salt the more influence let me just give you a description of of society of the community. Sectarian tension and bitterness, hatred between communities, 
stone throwing from one side to another. The summer is getting closer and it's all getting worse. The marching season is on us and the level of tension rises. Now, what am I describing? A few years ago? No. Well, yes, but not only that. I'm describing the 19th century in Ulster. That's what it was like. But in the middle of that century, there was a great revival. And many, many people were converted and there was much more salt in Ulster. The number of Christians increased significantly. And one of the newspapers writing in 1860 described the effect like this. It reported that thousands had been savingly converted and then it went on to say there are districts in Ulster where the revival completely changed the face of society. The community was transformed. In the market town of Balamina, previously notorious for its exhibitions of intemperance, a drunkard was now rarely seen. On the 12th of July, which had so often been marked by its violent party demonstrations, passed off quietly. The community was preserved because of the presence of salt. The salt of so many believing men and women. Salt acts as a preservative, but it has another purpose, of course. Salt acts as seasoning. That's why we put it on our food. Use it, it, it helps bring the taste out, make it feel better. You are the salt of the earth. There's an attractiveness, you see, about biblical Christianity. Of course, the world does not like the Christian. And our Lord has, has warned us that in this world you'll have tribulation. If it hated you, if it hated me, it will, it will hate you also. There is that, that opposition to the Christian. But as well as that, there is strangely in the world an awareness that there is something in this Christianity which is real and attractive. Because you see, it, it actually marks a distinction between the reality of the Christian and the world. Sin is really a dismal thing. It's a grind. It's a misery. It's dreary. Think of what people call having a good time. Having a great party. It is so miserable and dismal. I read a most distressing article, of, or actually it wasn't an article, it was a report a few weeks ago in the Telegraph describing a party in Belfast where there's a tragedy. But it was describing the party. It was miserable. People were lying about in somebody's house. They were drunk. They, they had been on drugs. They didn't know what they were thinking or saying. They didn't notice what was happening to one another. It was a most terrible description to find in your daily newspaper. Sin is such a miserable grind, dreary, grey, empty. That is life 
outside of Christ. Again, I was reading in the Telegraph recently, one of the columns, he's kind of a cynical boy, really. He's always writing articles that annoy me. Um, and they're very, very against biblical morality. So I was really uh, struck by this particular article. Um, I don't know what happened to him this week, uh, but at any rate, he was writing about the Sabbath day. He was lamenting the fact that in our society currently, there's no difference between one day and the other. He's, and he was, he was harking back to a time when Sunday was different and nobody went to work or went to play. They just had a lovely day of rest with their family. There was a kind of... And as you read this, and you knew this is a cynical boy writing this, you think, this fellow is expressing a kind of emptiness and longing that's in his heart there somewhere, and he doesn't know why it's there, but we know why it's there. And he had this longing for, for the beauty. That's what it was, was the beauty and the attractiveness of God's plan and purpose for his people. I thought it was powerful that it would come from such a source. Everything about us should express the attractiveness as well as the holiness of our Lord. He says, you are the salt. You're here to keep things from getting worse and to maybe keep people from sliding further and further down a dismal, miserable road. And you're here to season the community and to give a flavor of what is really beautiful and real and wonderful and attractive. You are here to display the glory of Christ. Christians are to be different and distinct. That's the thing about salt, isn't it? They are to be different and distinct. And we don't have to become salt. We don't have to make ourselves into salt. If you are a Christian, Jesus says, you are salt. It isn't complicated. But it's certainly a challenge. It's a challenge to live out what we are by the grace of God. A Christian is salt just by being a Christian. And more and more to live as Jesus did. You are the salt of the earth. Then let's look secondly at the light. Our Lord goes on to say, and begins in the same way really, you are the light of the world. You and you alone, you ordinary Christian man, you ordinary Christian woman, are described by Jesus as being the light of the world. And that is amazing. Because immediately we say that, we begin to think of another time when Jesus spoke of the light of the world. I am the light of the world. And now he says, you are the light of the world. And you are the light because you are united to him. And are following him. And are being made like him. And if the world needs salt, it certainly also needs light. It's a dark and dismal place. <clears throat> I said uh, yesterday I used to be in the scouts. 
uh, and our scouts occasionally went on, on great outings. And one of the great outings uh, our scouts went on was to County Tyrone, to where there had originally been a, a coal mine. We used to have coal in, in Northern Ireland. Uh, this mine was still open, and our, our scouts were taken down into the coal mine. And I'm really, really disappointed that I wasn't on the outing this time. But anyway, the boys all told me that they went down the coal mine, they were given the miners' helmets with the lights in the front, they put the lights on, they all went away down as far as they could to the depths of this mine, and they sat around a little circle, and the, the guide explained to them what happened when the coal was mined, and brought out and how it was taken up to the surface and where it was used and so on. And then he said, now, I want you to reach up to your helmet and turn your light off. So they all turned the light off. And the boys who were telling me said, never, ever have they experienced anything like it. They said, you know the way when you sit in a dark room, and it's really, really dark, but eventually you see a little chink of, you know, something through the window or, a little bit of light somewhere creeps in under the door. They said we sat for five minutes. There was absolutely no light whatever from anywhere. It was really, really dark. Like the world. That's what the world is like. Dark because separated from God. And our Lord says those who are without God are living in darkness. Losing their bearings, disorientated, confused, not knowing what is good or evil, calling evil good and calling good evil. And a thin veneer covers the hopelessness which that darkness threatens. But Jesus has set in this dark world lights to shine. And he says, you are those lights and you only are those lights. You have been enlightened by the glory of the gospel and it has shined into your hearts and now you are transmitting that light because you belong to him. Our neighbour down in Mance Park before we moved was a girl who lived on her own. She didn't like the garden. She didn't like gardening. Every now and again she'd sort of decide she should do something about her garden. So one day she came home with a big package and she began to plant, if that's the word, these, these metal things in her front flower bed. About ten metal things. Looked really bizarre. Uh, looked like wee mushrooms, you know. Uh, so we come out and there they were. And I uh, thought, how strange, you know. <laughs> I know you don't like planting flowers, but uh, surely anything's better than little metal things stuck along so then, of course, at night, we realized the reason for it, because these were, had solar panels on them, little solar panels, and whenever uh, night fell, all of these little things lit up. And for the only time ever, her garden looked really nice. <laughs> because there were all these little things transmitting the light. And they received the light during the day, and they transmitted the light during the darkness. And our Lord says, you are like that. You are the light of the world because his light has shined into you and you transmit that light in the place where he has set you. Isn't that a great thing? Light can't be hidden. 
That's the thing about it. It can't be hidden. It's visible to everyone for miles around. It's like a city set on a hill. A couple of weeks ago in Newton Ards, um, we had a spectacular light display. Um, I hope this doesn't sound boastful, but Newton Ards was one of only three or four places in the whole of the United Kingdom chosen for this light display. It was to mark a hundred days before the Olympic Games began, and it was a, a laser display which was situated on top of Scrabble Hill. And a whole big series of beams of laser lights shone out from the top of Scrabble Hill, right over the town. And um, they were you know, blue and yellow and green and the colours of the rainbow and spread out like a fan. It was absolutely spectacular. Um, and you couldn't miss it. And everybody in town was saying during the week, have you seen the lights? And we all drove out at night to vantage points up the Donoghadee Road, up the Scrabble Road. We drove in below the lights. We drove up above and looked down on the lights. Uh, they, they were really... Well, yes, I hadn't much to do, obviously. <laughs> they were really, really wonderful. And you couldn't miss them. And everybody talked about them. And you are the light of the world. And to be seen wherever you live and wherever you are. And to be seen clearly and visibly. Light exposes the darkness of separation from God, doesn't it? That's what the light does. And it points to danger. That's what light does. So the lighthouse does. And our Lord is saying that in this modern generation, there is a great danger facing people, and you are the light who will expose to them that danger, but also show them the way out of it. And the light, of course, must not be hidden. You don't light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, you put it on the stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. It would be totally illogical to have a light and not to use it. If the bulb goes in our bedroom and we're trying to find our way around the bedroom, and I say to you, don't worry, I've been, I've been very thoughtful and last week I bought a new supply of bulbs. Where are they? Well, I'm not going to tell you. I, I, I'm just going to keep them in a drawer because you never know you might need them sometime. Well, she would say, I think, Knox, that you need to sit down and we'll have a talk here because that sounds totally illogical. Why would you have the light and not be using it? It is to be used, not to be hidden. And there's a direct connection, you see, between letting the light shine and doing good deeds. Let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. What are the good deeds? Remember yesterday we read, Jesus went about doing good. Good deeds are living as he lived, as he wants us to live, as he calls us to do. And yet, not doing that in any way that is to call attention to ourselves or to impress 
people watching. See, being light is to be understood in the same way as being salt. It isn't complicated. It isn't something you have to produce by yourself. It's living as a Christian in this community. It sounds straightforward. And yet it's really searching to all of us who profess to be followers of Christ. How different are we? Are we as distinctive as the salt? Are we as bright as the light? Martin Lloyd-Jones um, has a marvellous two volumes on the, on the Sermon on the Mount. And he says this. Uh, I think it's about this passage. But certainly about the Sermon on the Mount in general as it describes the Christian's life. And he says, We are to live in such a way that as men and women look at us going about our ordinary lives, we will be a problem to them. They will say, what exactly is it about them? What exactly is it that's different about them? What is it? I can see there's something unusual. What is it? that's different about them? And the answer is, they're salt and they're light. In the way they act and talk, the values they have, the contentment they show, and all of that. And the big, strong rugby player living next door says, I'd better ask these people what it is. I've got a lot of questions and a lot of concerns and I need to ask these people about them. Salt and light. And that Christ-like life brings blessing to ourselves, brings the gospel to others, and brings glory to God, that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father who is in heaven. Best of all, brings glory to him. You are the salt of the earth. And you are the light of the world. Amen. Let's join in prayer.